0: From McKinsey's Business Building Practice Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. The Chief Product Officer of a Bangkok startup explains his company's mission to leverage blockchain innovation for the mothership. In this episode of The Venture, we share a conversation with Brian Clark, Chief Product Officer of Ascendbit, a Bangkok startup recently spun off from the Ascend Group, itself a part of Thailand's CP Group. Ascendbit's mandate is to leverage blockchain solutions on behalf of the group, focusing on applications for businesses and tokenization for consumers. Current efforts focus on productizing loyalty and gamification, with an emphasis on tokenizing non-traditional assets for consumers. Clark sat down with myself to discuss the challenges and promises of blockchain, smart contracts, and Web3. At the close of the interview, McKinsey's Dilip Mystery weighs in. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining the show. Looking forward to the conversation on Web3 and all things blockchain.
1: Most definitely, Andrew. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Before we get into all the trends around Web3 and, and what you're doing. Maybe share a little bit about your role at AscendBit and how you got
1: there. I've been doing product for about 12 years out of uh, the States for brands like Target, Meta, uh, most recently over here in CP Group. For those that don't know, it's a, it's a massive conglomerate. But underneath that, th- there's a ton of other things that, that we do. Past year and a half, I joined a new division here called AscendBit. And we were tasked with a, a hard, broad mandate of leveraging blockchain for innovation. It's like, okay, uh, you know, blockchain is a pretty big domain. And so we've gone through some POCs, some iterations, and and through there, we found a couple tracks within the group. And and then we're really focusing the majority of our efforts actually on productizing loyalty, gamification for third-party solutions under a a SaaS umbrella. So we're excited to take that to Southeast Asia, not just within the group. So there's what we've been working on. It's been a, a very fun journey and a lot of learnings to get here maybe we take a quick step
0: back and you know just for the audience who's hearing this term around web3 and there's a lot of confusion around crypto and web3 what is all the hype about and we see you know at least at mckinsey there's sort of three technical primitives to web3 around number one the blockchain number two smart contracts and then the digital assets and tokens that you can layer on top of both the blockchain and smart contracts in the last few years There's been a lot of investment into the infrastructure around these three layers, and we're starting to see more use cases sitting on top of these primitives around tokenized assets, DeFi, the creator economy with NFTs, DAOs, Metaverse. There's a lot of terminology out there. Maybe share a little bit about kind of how you see the Web3 world and what's exciting you right now in terms of real value to to an organization like yours.
1: I'd say I actually largely align with how McKinsey kind of skins those into those three pillars, right? I think where we've lost some interest, and maybe this is just the, the regulatory state in Thailand, it, it's around the, the tokenization, utility coin, securities token, ICO, like those are interesting mechanics, make no mistake. But I think unless your business is in the Web3 domain, really trying to harness that, well, we are no longer as interested in a utility token that could be used to purchase goods and services. A year ago, everyone had a white paper, everyone had a coin. And a lot of new manifestations, you're seeing a moving away from that, or they're just, hey, I'll just adopt ETH, or I'll even just adopt cash, right? They're more interested in that blockchain, the smart contract side of it. In our business, we're now really into that tokenization of an asset and the smart contract interoperability that we're seeing that is that is really unique. So I think that that's really what's interesting us. And we've somewhat cooled again, Thailand is just very unfriendly towards anything around DeFi. So that's also influenced some of our direction.
0: Maybe we dig into the smart contract side of things a little bit in that it feels like the innovation, of course, with smart contract is that the interoperability part that that you described and also the composability of being able to a community of developers be able to grab more or less a Lego brick of a smart contract and build on top of that to accelerate development in the web 2.0 world or in the last 10 years a lot of talk internally of an IT departments around microservices and the same kind of principle around lego brick and composability any prototypes or use cases around smart contracts that like you said outside of crypto is
1: compelling or interesting to you really that smart contract and interoperability are two themes that that we really see some really interesting promise towards yeah, I think in, for some context to, to help frame it up, at least from an asinbit side, right? What, what we're really trying to target is loyalty and gamification. And I think the specific thing that we think could be different here, that, that we're interested in exploring in smart contracts is going to unlock, as well as NFTs, it's, it's this ability for, I can now tokenize a non-traditional asset. And because I have a smart contract, so, so let's say I go to a bunch of merchants, Your Jim's Burger, this little shop or a bigger one. You want to start selling something, but you don't have scale. You can go on to Shopify. What happens if your asset is non-traditional? It's cooking class with Andrew and you want to reward that. Well, now you can tokenize that. It manifests like technically it's an NFT. It's just digital proof of ownership. And then let's say it puts onto a marketplace where people can buy and sell that. Well, what's interesting about a smart contract is it democratizes that process. You get this cut, they get this cut. I don't care about your scale. Here's the payment terms. As soon as Brian buys Andrew's cooking class, you get settled within X hours. Here's your split always. Like that type of guarantee that it's going to transact is different. Where traditionally it's, I go to a big brand. Oh, well, you're big. Let's cut a deal and I'll give you a little bit more rev share and we'll have special terms for you and special payouts. A smart contract is just, here's the field. Anyone that wants to engage, partake. So the rules of this, this ecosystem are known to all. Shared by all. So so I think that that part of it and also this guarantee, if this condition is met, then I get here. It's not, hey, when am I going to get paid? Oh, my invoice is due. It's none of the smart contract is collateralized and it instantly pays it out once these preconditions are met. So I think that that part of it, it is really interesting towards like unlocking more of these interesting ways to bring about rewards and loyalty. It, it makes it level. And again, you can also tokenize non-traditional assets. And I think that that's really interesting.
0: I like the use case around loyalty because it's easy for the audience to understand. You know, Like the traditional earn and burn loyalty coalition programs in the past were, as you mentioned, difficult because there might be some anchor player in the ecosystem like a grocery store that wants special terms. There's always this sort of lack of transparency. And so what you're saying with with blockchain and smart contracts, it just makes things transparent and and more a matter of fact, almost like a batch process in terms of how transactions uh, get settled.
1: Exactly. And then you also have this this transparency on an interaction, which you couldn't do before. It, like, let, Let's say you get a reward and, and you don't want it, but you got it. Now through this, I can create my own marketplace in my loyalty ecosystem. I'm going to put up for barter. Andrew, you log in, you're like, actually, that, that looks kind of cool. I'd like that. I can now trade that. And again, a smart contract facilitates here. And there's a percent cut. So before a brand could never unlock a secondary market, or if they did, it would go off platform, right? Here it stays on platform. I got it. You tokenize my reward. I don't want it, but man, Andrew really wants it. And he's going to settle with me. Smart contract makes it easy. And then you get this nice, you know, chain scan. You can see where it went. It's like, oh, this is pretty valuable. I can see where these assets are moving and I unlock a secondary economy that I didn't have before. So I think that that part's also really interesting that if you were on your web two databases, like this would be a lot of effort to put together.
0: From a customer perspective, it's true. Many times people don't even redeem the points or look at whatever reward catalog exists. If they do, and they don't really like the reward, like you said, in the past, there's not much they could have done about it beyond just try to cash it in for, like, airline miles. Starbucks announced their uh, Odyssey project of, of the metaverse. Thoughts on that? I mean, we can go down the branch of metaverse, but before we do that, anything you want to share about, like, what's in the pipeline for you, then, around loyalty and gamification?
1: Yeah, I have to say, we, we do draw inspiration from Odyssey, right? Like, Starbucks had one of the most successful loyalty programs on Earth, period. It was always cited as one of the best.
0: At one point, this is a few years ago, but they had more money on deposit. In their loyalty system than some banks that on deposit in the US.
1: It's wild, right? And it's simple, it works, it's valuable. Like they did it great. And Starbucks is a well run company. And if they're going to completely re platform this already very successful experience, why? And as you read some of those release notes on Odyssey, it's, it's compelling, right? That they do talk about purchasing a badge just because I immediately want that uniqueness. Or you could tokenize a very limited subset. So there's only 100 of these. And those hundred, you can start to build a community around. Me and you now both have it because I want it. And that badge now gets me into a custom roast. Like the, there's so many unique things, especially around this community and this, this marketplace concept and how easy it is to tokenize. And then you bring in, you layer on the, the programmability of an NFT. I could give you a badge that has a seasonal benefit. I don't have to tell you what it is today. Hey, this month you unlock here. Next month you unlock, I don't know. And then you can come in and configure that. Starbucks is, is really like first leader in it. And I think there's space for a fast follower. But what we're hopeful to do and emulate some of those experiences is just some brands don't have the capital to build odyssey so we'd like to step in and provide a, a software as a service solution that would allow you to easily integrate these experiences into your domain you, you layer on badges that can unlock you layer on tokenized rewards that you can unlock and then th- this promise of community and marketplace and i think that there's something really compelling we're also benefit of the group we have two of the top five loyalty programs by volume in thailand from lotus and true you so we're doing some interesting pilots of validation, I think, that would give us a, a little bit of a leg up as we start to take this to other players in the in the market. And again, if a top brand that's already so successful, like you said, more money than some banks and they replatform, that's not easy. They did it for a calculated reason. And I think we're, we're equally passionate about what that is.
0: It's clear from sort of the energy that in your voice that you feel we're, are we on the cusp here where we're going to see some breakthrough use case here in the uh sort of gamification loyalty bucket of web three use cases. Let's be straightforward. There is some cynicism out there because of what's happened with crypto and how that's kind of sullied the waters with other parts of the web three ecosystem. And it feels like everyone's just waiting for that breakthrough use case that people can point to in, in a practical way. Where do you feel like we are on the sort of the
1: innovation adoption curve?
0: You feel like we're a few months away from this a year away
1: from this, two years from this? I think it's a couple fiscal quarters away. Like as I look at some startups out there, they're doing good. There's a company called Heirloom and tied to here why I'm excited about loyalty, it's also the tokenization of a reward. We had uh, 25 million monthly active users. It's a large scale loyalty platform. For me to make a new campaign for my marketing team, I had to program the logic. I had to dev it. I had to QA, I had to deploy it. Now I can just put that logic onto an NFT. My, my time to market on these is is easier. So there's a competitive advantage. The other competitive advantage is, again, you can tokenize non-traditional assets. And then you think about this fulfillment loop, right? Let's say you tokenize a VIP pass to an art fair. Uh, there's only 100 of these. Now I go to the event. How do I complete this loop and make sure that it's you doing it? It's not some fraud. Well, people just have a wallet. I, I transfer it from one wallet back to the venue wallet. That way, I don't have to worry, did you take a screenshot? Did you fake it? You know, no, no. So I think that that loop also within this loyalty is going to be really compelling, right? Big brands, small brands can start to do tokenization of things for a reward that was so hard before. So I'm certainly bullish. I'm biased here. But I do think that this is going to come big. And I do think probably six months or less. There's quite a few startups getting some really good funding here. What do you like about Heirloom? It's so broad, but it's so good. They're saying you can tokenize anything. They're they're trying to be Shopify, basically, for a tokenized asset. And this is compelling because if you think about it, say I run e-commerce, why do you have to go to OpenSea to buy my tokenized offer? It makes no sense. Like, tokenize whatever it is and sell it on my site and let me get my revenue. Cool. So so I think that, and they're specifically trying to say, and then you get some of the interoperability of an open chain, right? And this thing can move around. Like, I think that that's really compelling. I also think they're being brave and they're not saying like, tokenize your restaurant vouchers, tokenize tour guides. They're like, tokenize anything. That's kind of ambitious, but but it's exciting too. So I, I like where they're going that an NFT is an art. NFT is a digital proof of ownership. Cool. Ownership of what? Whatever you can program onto that and prove. But then again, like you get this, the the loop. That's the most important thing to me, at least. I don't have to integrate with your point of sale terminal. I don't have to scan your QR code. Like that takes integrations. This is just, here it is, transfer to this wallet. Okay, that's authentic. I couldn't fake that mint and I couldn't fake that transfer. Cool. And then you go on an ETH scan and and you can validate that that transaction happened. Like it's immutable on those in transparent. So I think that these underlying elements that are from blockchain and smart contracts are are going to help power kind of this loyalty games, reward, even marketplace of different services beyond what you've seen before.
0: I kind of see it in two lenses here emerging. One is the, you know, staying on the NFT and, and loyalty points. Blockchain and smart contracts sort of create that efficiency the va- the value of efficiency taking out integration points like you said qr codes and complex pos systems which we all know are very complicated to integrate with to, to close a loop on a transaction so that's like an efficiency play but you're also hitting on tokenizing everything and it starts to bring up this topic of ownership and equity and quote unquote creator economy anything around that that you're starting to see uh, emerge as a a use case in Thailand, at least, or this whole promise around the creator economy?
1: But if I'm a brand, I, I create this Prada bag. I tokenize all of the things so you can make sure that it's verifiable. Cool. This is 100% a genuine Prada bag. But then as I want to resell that, I can then resell it and you can buy it and be like, I know for a fact that this is real. And it also comes with some added benefits. So I think that that creator economy towards what you do, I think the value that is going to be seen there is that the secondary marketplace of it, because I totally know that this is authentic and it comes with something. And then as that transfers over, all of that transfers over. But I think what it would unlock within that creator economy is this also secondary economy that's trustworthy and interesting and all the ownership goes over to that new holder and you don't have to get messy with that transferability. It's exciting
0: in theory to be a maker or a creator right now. And we see the potential. I think we're both excited about the space in general and the opportunities around it, maybe we shift a little bit to where you're seeing some of the challenges in terms of at the technical layer, at the use case layer, at the customer layer. I'm sure you've been in conversations with what you're doing with Ascendbit where you see some of the pushback or or challenges from some of your clients.
1: I think one is still trying to help people understand Okay, but hey, Brian, I I can already put my loyalty program up for your True You catalog, that's web two. Like why do I need yet another storefront where I'm putting it? Like I've got Lazada where I'm a merchant and I go to Shopee and I do the same thing. Well, I already published it in so many rewards. Why do I need to do yours? So just getting adoption is one, but also helping people in a non-technical manner understand that, why? Well, there's added benefits. It's the secondary marketplace, you can get new revenue. You don't have to worry about issued versus claimed. You can also mint some unique things. So how do you convince some of these people to understand the benefit of adopting a Web3 offering? Because you say, oh, we're Web3. It's like, oh, that's provocative, but (laughs) help me understand why that matters to me and to adopting your platform. So I think where we're struggling on right now is helping two players. One, it's the people publishing, the makers like, why come to here? And then two is we say, hey, Third parties adopt us as a SaaS. Oh, I can already do most of that. And then I have to replatform or I have to reintegrate your SDK. Why? So I think it's evangelism and education of the differentiated value. Because even as you look at Starbucks Odyssey as a great example, and you can draw inspiration, it's still vague. Like, oh, you can do these great communities. Like, oh, that sounds beautiful. But what does that actually mean in practice? So I think trying to provide these concrete examples that people can understand that make it less about the technology and more about the experiences that they can enjoy. So I think there's where we're specifically struggling with is to helping on that really clear narrative that that provides value add because loyalty and gamification is nothing new,
0: right? I would say like the Web3 natives would more or less say, look, the opportunity is probably a bit more around this shift of ownership. So instead of just having a points balance in a loyalty program, I now have assets and assets are much more valuable to me and emotional to me as an individual that these assets not just points but experiences and artwork can be transferred on in a marketplace much different way of creating authentic community versus just saying hey we both go to Starbucks and we like Starbucks and have Starbucks points right that's not really a big community but If we're in this group of 100 people that only have access to a certain type of product, that's a little bit different. Or if I have ownership of an NFT, and you do too, and we both own the same type of asset class, a different emotion there. And I agree with you. I feel like we're a few quarters away where there's going to be this use case, perhaps in this realm, around loyalty and gamification that just creates this massive sense of FOMO. At the end of the day, the customer will decide. And we could talk about Web 2 and Web 3. At the end of the day, there's going to be a use case that gets a ton of attention, And it's going to basically turn the light on for people around the shift from sort of old school community building and, quote unquote, loyalty to more of, I would say, authentic uh, value exchange.
1: I really liked how you described it on that authentic and and beyond just the tech and, and our solution. It also needs brands to think differently as opposed to having a one-to-many conversation around your authentic community. Let's say you're 100 people. How do you bring those 100 people together? Like, What do you do as a brand to engage those 100 people in meaningful ways that that reward is unique to them, that, that it capitalizes on it? So it's not just the tech, the experience, but it's going to be a shift in, in your channel marketing strategies of how you build some of those and tap in and harness that community.
0: I've been experimenting with uh, Stepin. You earn coins if, when you jog or run or walk When I'm out on the road, I can tell other people who are also on Stepin' because they're almost running into trees and checking their watch and their phones and they're like and stuff. So that alone, because we're building asset, we're building something more than just points, but we're also in this sort of shared value of of health and wellness. I'm with you in that there are so many creative opportunities now to build community with more weight to it than just sort of uh, labels of being in a community. And it'll be exciting to see where this goes. I think we're hitting on this topic around the emotions around ownership and value, which may be the pathway to unlock all the new use cases that make it mainstream in Web3.
1: I think that's well summarized. It's going to be really interesting in this domain. Do you think loyalty is really at a big change, or I hope it is, uh, for our business and others too?
0: Let's plan on reconnecting in a few quarters and see how things play out. And I'm sure you being on the front lines of this, you'll have some new use cases or new stories to share. Sounds good. Thanks Brian.
1: Thank you very much Andrew.
0: Now comes a segment where we invite experts from McKinsey to provide more context and to draw practical insights. And today I'm joined by Dilip Mistry, partner and leader of Leap by McKinsey based in Singapore. Hey Dilip, uh, great to have you on the show.
2: Hey Andrew, good to be here.
0: So I thought we would cover three things. First, this mission that Brian has to unify loyalty and gamification and what the customer sentiment might be around that. And then naturally, the second question would be, well, then how does blockchain smart contracts, Web3 in general, enable that? And why should it? And third, a large part of our audience probably wondering how to get started, especially with the confusing jargon and signals in the market right now when it comes to Web3 and in general. But firstly, on the customer sentiment around loyalty and gamification, but what are some of your thoughts for people not familiar with Southeast Asia about the the appetite consumers have around gamification, around loyalty, around rewards?
2: Just having lived here for over 20 years now, absolutely. I think when you look at consumer behavior, there's definitely an appetite to get a deal in the physical world consumers are willing to kind of stand in line to kind of get a dollar off a particular product or get a freebie and so i think it's wide into the mindset you know in terms of and i think what that's led to is people are always willing to jump on board reward programs and loyalty programs but what's happened over a period of time is we now have islands of loyalty programs and and when you actually probe consumers they are a little bit dissatisfied that they cannot use points from one program and kind of redeem the reward in another program or the multiple times they need to re-enter their information as they move from you know program to program, so there's huge opportunity to reimagine and reinvent how our loyalty and rewards is done for sure
0: yeah, and I think it's that shift from making the relationship with the customer just about rewards to more around engagement and community with the brand. And I think what we're seeing now is consumers demand a little bit more than just sort of a, a 10% off or a reward. They want to feel a little bit more a part of the brand if they could. And Brian and I were talking about Starbucks Odyssey and how they're coming up with some creative ways beyond just giving discounts and freebies to engage the brand through the metaverse. And that's sort of the big question is, what's the killer use case or feature going to be to really unlock and make something like the metaverse mainstream? What are some of your thoughts there on technology adoption or or what Starbucks and Odyssey is doing itself?
2: I think the Odyssey example was a great example. What Starbucks is doing is they're taking a somewhat, you know, pragmatic approach. Um, They've always been an early adopter when it comes to technology. I think they were one of the first kind of QSR chains to put Wi-Fi. The loyalty program is, is impressive as it stands, and you know they've taken an approach to take a lot of non-traditional assets and turn them into kind of NFT. I think I think they refer to them as stamps, and you get recognized for traveling and and doing a, a number of behaviors. But at the same time, they're being honest and, and 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 thoughtful in terms of how they are bringing these experiences to the consumer. For example. You don't need a wallet, a Web3 wallet. You can buy some of these stamps through using your own credit card as well. So I think they're taking a very pragmatic, customer-driven, non-tech approach. And the reality is the answer to coming up with a new kind of program, the leveraging of the benefits of their existing program and also you know taking the good bits of, of Web3. And merging them together. I think that's where I think the answer is going to be for many, many use case scenarios where you be pragmatic, you take the good bits of technology and you come up with new experiences, as opposed to being a quote unquote Web3 purist and forcing consumers to adopt technology and behaviors which they may not be ready for.
0: And so that leads us to the second question, maybe around, well, then why do you really need, you know, a smart contract or blockchain to fix loyalty and gamification? And we spoke, Brian and I, we spoke about how, you know, from an efficiency perspective, you can finally include lots of different partners into a reward catalog and onboard them and apply the rules on how to redeem that reward without like a lengthy business development process to bring someone into the community. And the other part, which I would love to get your insight on, is around ownership, because these non-traditional tokens or assets, like cooking class, for example, could be a reward that Brian was talking about. This is finally something where a creator in Thailand could make something like a class or a, a painting, piece of music, and get rewarded for it each time it's sold and bought and resold. So this emergence of a a creator economy, just want to get your thoughts there. And also anything you want to touch upon smart contracts and how it unlocks efficiency.
2: I think when it comes to the creator economy, for sure, there's a lot of excitement with regards to Web3. Because for the first time, artists are able to really have protection of their work. And in the smart contract itself they can define the rules in terms of what happens when anybody else is viewing or wants to purchase or get involved in an exchange. For a lot of the creators I speak to, they're excited about the fact that they can focus on being creative and not worry about what's happening when it comes to some centralized body trying to kind of handle the transaction. So I believe this is going to result in a lot of Artists getting involved, regardless of the industry that they're in. We're going to see lots of transactions happening around the world with complete transparency without worrying that some middleman is taking all of the value.
0: Yeah, so smart contracts create speed and transparency. And the element of ownership that it offers the creator, you know, it'll be very exciting to see how incumbents and brands start to localize the experiences they offer to consumers, especially in a loyalty program where you can move beyond sort of the the traditional expensive rewards to more creator sort of brand partnerships within the local economy.
2: Yeah. And I think as Brian mentioned, you know, they've got a number of these assets within the organization he works for. So it'd be good to see how organizations like that kind of get off the ground. And I think what we've learned from Odyssey is that there's a way of delivering that without making it uh, overly technical. If you can integrate with stuff you have today, I think it's better for the consumer and and it'll allow a lot more people to kind of embrace Web3.
0: So how should organizations move forward on the topic of Web3? I think what Ascendbit is doing is one example of a way forward. You have a team focused on, on use cases, but What bits of advice would you offer the incumbent that is trying to make sense of all this?
2: As incumbents, you know, you've always got to be watchful of kind of innovations and you've also got to be careful that you don't get caught up in the hype. So timing is everything, but I certainly wouldn't let the the latest kind of noise on crypto get you down a path of being dismissive of Web3. Web3, you know, presents lots of opportunities, kind of reimagine existing use cases and also kind of think about new use cases as well. And suddenly, if I was an incumbent, I would have a bunch of people in your team, you know, learn about this stuff, get involved in the local communities, maybe potentially even partner. There's some, you know, innovative uh, startups which are doing some stuff in this space, partner with some startups as well. Hopefully, you'll identify a use case that you're excited about. Obviously, put some resources behind it. And then, you know, take a test and learn mindset as with any new technology. Be cautious, but at the same time, you've you've got to start doing stuff and and see if it's material enough for your business to step in. What I wouldn't do is just watch and wait, because that's not the right mindset for someone who wants to jump on board and, you know, think about new business ideas, new business opportunity. I think cautiously get involved, learn and identify your use cases what I would be doing if I was an incumbent.
0: Yeah, I like that. You know, the idea of partnering to speed things along. And we've seen these cycles happen in Web 1.0 and Web 2.0, where the the people that watch and wait are kind of stuck in lots of planning and not much of uh, participation. And albeit, you should be a healthy skeptic on some of these things, right? It seems like uh, for Web 3.0 the last few years, there have been a lot of investments on the infrastructure around blockchain and the infrastructure around smart contracts. And we're just starting to see... Some use cases come up outside of uh, DeFi and all that, but some more practical use cases that help uh, businesses and consumers. So it'll be interesting to see who starts to win. I know I'm still on the wait list for Starbucks Odyssey, um, but I think that's the key way to end this. You know, don't watch and wait, continue the sort of the, the principles around test and learn, but make it customer backed versus sort of leading from a technology first perspective on what could be done versus what should be done
2: absolutely in fact if you get a chance just go through the uh the starbucks odyssey website and there's very little web 3 language in that uh, and i think that's a great kind of thought starter for us in terms of how you can embrace the advantages that the new technology brings without having to be technically literate because that's not what the consumer wants
0: yeah let's uh, eliminate the jargon thanks dilap enjoy the your perspective appreciate it thank you You have been listening to The Venture. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.